Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. So we're going to be reading here today in uh, a little bit of a recap from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11, which says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So much truth and so much power in this book written by John. All culminating with this idea of needing to love one another. And as we are talking about our pursuit of people, we know that it is all centered around love. Loving people well, loving people because he first loved us, loving because we serve God and God is love. But last week we did acknowledge that there are some difficulties at times in walking in love. We said that as a community, as a church, as the body of Christ, often we have a love problem. But a love problem that's actually a sin problem. And a sin problem that's actually a fear problem, which results in a control problem, which is sometimes a judgment problem, and ultimately a shame problem. Now, if you missed any of those and you want to go back and listen to last week's message, you can do so. It's online. But we really want to see that we are called to love. And yes, there are deterrents. There are hindrances sometimes in us being able to walk this out. But what we need to do as Christians, as believers in Jesus, is we need to be the ones who pursue love and to pursue him so that anything that lays in between us, any of the obstacles or the things that try to prevent us from loving well, we have dealt with and we have brought under under the supremacy of Jesus as anything else that we do in our lives. And if we're going to be all that he's created us to be, then we really have to recognize what it says once again in verse 9, which is that we were created to live through Him. We have to recognize the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And we have to readdress the way that we look at sin in ourselves, the way that we look at sin in others, and we have to acknowledge that through Christ, we are now powerful individuals who have been created to bring freedom through the grace of Jesus. This is who we are meant to be. But you see, this is still just a starting point. This is still just the beginning of the race. To know these truths, to stand on them, and to walk in them, is simply to get to the starting line of the race. You see, God has put a race in front of us. He has laid out a journey in front of us. And if we are going to actually start and participate and go through this journey, then we have to show up first. 
Amen? Very simple starting point. We have to get there. But so often, because we don't understand this, we are the ones who are still waiting at home, trying to figure out whether or not we are qualified to even show up in the first place. We have been called to run a race, but if we don't know that God has made us prepared, equipped, and available to run the race, we're not even going to show up. If you only get one thing from last week's message, and and truly, I spent a lot of time on it, so I hope you get more than one thing out of it. But if you only got one thing, this is what I want you to hear. You are qualified. That through Jesus, through his death and his resurrection, through the power that rose him from the dead and lives inside of us, you are now qualified to show up to get up and to go. That is exciting. It's good news today. We have been called to go after all that God has has placed in front of us, but we have to know that we are now able to show up and we are called to show up. We need to learn not to disqualify ourselves, but we have to understand through Jesus it's time. So the question is this. How do we come to this realization in our lives? How do we live this life? And more specifically, how do we live a life no longer sabotaged by shame, but empowered by an identity in Him? And furthermore, what does this look like? By the end of this message, I really do want to answer this question. What does it mean to walk in freedom? What does it mean to be empowered? What does it mean to to disregard the shame and to walk in the newness and the new identity that has been not just afforded to us, but has been paid for with a heavy price by Jesus? I want us to be able to to answer this question, and there's going to be a quiz at the end of this. So you got to pay attention. So we're going to answer this question, but before we get there, we have to clearly define what it is that we've been called to do, what identity and freedom look like, and also what's required of us. And there's a lot of requirements here when we read through the book of 1 John, and, and so we're going to look at some verses here today. But first, 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, it says, this is how love is made complete, or other versions say perfected among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment that in this world... We are like Jesus. In this world, we are like Jesus. It goes hand in hand with verse 9. So that we might live through him. So that we might live through Jesus. You see, our goal in all of this, our pursuit, is to look more and more like Jesus every single day. This is what we're going after. To look more and more like Jesus every single day. But because I know most of us don't even think this is possible, let's look at some of the other things that 1 John chapter says. And I'm I'm being, I'm being, uh, you know, I'm joking with you, but I, I really think sometimes we have a difficult time grasping this. That in this world we're meant to be like Jesus. What does that even mean? So I want to look at some of the standards that, that John calls us to. We want to know some of the guidelines of this race. We want to know what it is that we're actually in pursuit of. And so we start in chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. 
And it says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. That God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Verses 3 through 6. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Verse 15. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world... The love of the Father is not in him. And then chapter 3, verses 5 through 10. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. And no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. But whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. I don't know about you, these verses don't necessarily give me like the warm and fuzzies. Right? If we say that we know him and we love him, but we don't practice what he said, then we're a liar. Like, no one wants to be called a liar on a Sunday morning. If you continue to do these things, then you are of who? The devil. Not exactly the encouragement we're always looking for. But remember, Jesus looked at Peter and said, hey, get behind me, Satan. Like, like there are times where we have to recognize that there is truth, there is a standard, there is something we've been called to do. And this is telling us there is something required of us. If we love him, if we know him, we are called to keep his commandments. But what we're going to do today is we're going to find out how do we do that. We all know what it's like to, to miss the mark, to not keep the commandments, But how can we be empowered to do exactly what these verses are calling us to do? Once again, we want to look more like Jesus every day. So we're going to start here. uh, One of the verses we just read, chapter 2, verse 3. It says, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So there's two words I want to look at here today in this specific passage. The words know and keep. If you know him, you will keep his commandments. This word know has a lot of uses throughout the Bible. This in context means to know. It means to have a firsthand experience with somebody or something. To interact with it. And then the word keep means to guard and to protect. So what this verse is saying is that if we have experienced him... If we know him, if we have had a firsthand, a first account experience with him, that because of that, we are going to keep, we are going to guard, we are going to protect what he has said. Because we value him. 
If we know him, we will keep his commandments. It goes on to to say in verses 4 through 6, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. Whoever says, I've had an experience with Jesus, I know him, he lives inside of me, but does not guard and protect what he has said is not telling the truth. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps and guards his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. In other words, to become more like Jesus. If we want to become more like Jesus, we have to know him. We have to experience him. We have to invest in our relationship with him. And then we have to protect what he has said. Many in this world know of what he has said, but have not had a firsthand experience with him, and therefore they do not guard or keep what he has said, but they conform it and they twist it to make it match and work for their own lifestyle. But we, as the children of God, the ones who know him, are called to protect and to guard what he has said. We have to recognize that when we know him, there is also a power that is produced within us to guard and to watch over what he's called us to do. Living in pursuit of God looks like growing in intimacy and connection, producing and living out a desire to not simply follow instruction, but to guard and to protect what he has said. We desire to know him and to protect his word. Now, John goes on to continue speaking about this, and and he uses this other word that I want to look at, which is the word abide. Chapter 2, verse 6 says, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, You know that he appeared in order to take away sins... And in him there is no sins. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. This word abide is the Greek word meno. It's used 29 times in the New Testament. And 27 of those times it's used by John. Now, when you know John, it seems to shine a little light on this. John was the disciple that Jesus loved, self-proclaimed. He was the one writing the book, and so he made sure he put that description in there. Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't seem to echo that. But there was something about John. I think he was just a little bit more sensitive, in a good way. He was the one who laid his head on, on Jesus' chest. He was the one who just really pursued this. And so to abide, to exist, to be in deep relationship was something that really meant something very specific to him. And, and he uses that word abide 16 times in this letter alone. It means to remain, to continue, and to stay. He was on to say in chapter 2, verses 24 through 25, Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, if it stays in you, if it, if it is present in you, if it's something that we allow to continue to speak to us, then you too, now listen to this, this is really important, 
If you allow it to abide in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. We are talking about the Savior of the universe, the creator of the world, the creator of each one of us. If we allow his word to abide in us, then we abide in him. That is incredible. And this is the promise that he has made to us. It's eternal life. Abide, abide, abide. Allow his word to abide in us and recognize that we are abiding, we're remaining, we're staying in him. See, when we abide in him, we walk in our new nature. Okay, so drawing close to God is important. We know this. Tell me something I don't know, right? Let's continue in chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. All right, so no one born of God, blood-bought, redeemed, transformed the children of God, makes a practice of sinning. The practice of sinning. This word practice is the Greek word which is to manufacture or to create. So no one born of God continues to manufacture sinful behavior. We we don't continue to create sinful behavior in our life. We don't continue in the old way of just being in pursuit of the things that are going to make us happy, manufacturing, creating, creating things that are out of alignment with the truth and the word of God because we are now abiding in him. No one born of God continues to manufacture sinful behavior. How is this possible? Because I don't know about you, but I have certainly manufactured some sinful behavior in my life before. How do we walk in the freedom where where it's possible for us to no longer keep on sinning as it's saying? It says, for God's seed abides in him. We read through these words and we don't see the significance very often. God's word abides in him. This word, God's seed, is the Greek word sperma. Now, I don't think we need to have a biology lesson here today. Okay? We know what this word means. But just think about this for a moment. God's seed is placed inside of us and what it produces is a new creation... Because if God is implanting something inside of us, guess what? We do not remain the same. His seed has been implanted inside of us. It means that we are born of God. This brings even new light to born again. We have been born of God. It means to be one who has been reborn, given a new blueprint, a new DNA, a new source of life. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. Abide, abide, abide. Allow his word to abide in us. Allow his seed to abide in us and to produce the new nature 
This is what we are after. When we have been reborn with such a nature that has come directly from the Father, and it's that nature that abides in us, the result is that he cannot keep on sinning. I'm going to read this verse again. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. When we are abiding, remaining, and continuing to stay connected to the word, and I'm not just talking about words on a page, right? But allowing the word to speak in us, allowing the rhema word of God to transform us, to shape us, then what we have to realize is that the spiritual DNA and the identity of God is what takes root in our hearts and in our lives. We have to allow this truth to truly sink in because when it does, it does transform us, not just in our spirit, not just in our soul, not just in the place that is unseen, but in my physical flesh, in my actions. Because when my, my spirit is transformed and I recognize who I am, and then my mind and my will and my emotions, my soul, come into alignment with this truth of who I am, guess what changes? My thoughts, my feelings, and my will, and my ability to choose. And therefore, what comes out of my physical being, my actions, are now being transformed by the truth and the Word of God. Sometimes I think that we, we know that we have this, this high requirement and this standard to live according to His Word, but we don't think that we have what it takes to actually do it. And so we have accepted lesser and lower theology to speak to the fact that we're always going to be the same way that we've always been instead of understanding that the truth of the Word of God and what Jesus did on the cross was meant to actually transform our lives. This is as a result of abiding in him and allowing his word to abide in us to remain to stay to continue to work to allow it to speak to our thoughts to our emotions to our will and to choose because we we are guarding and protecting what he has said to live differently this, this, is, this is what is available to us through Him. But it doesn't just say that we are able not to sin. It says that when we abide in Him, when His Word abides in us, we are not able to sin. I did not write this. This is not my wisdom. This is reading the Word of God. It says that we are not able to sin, that we cannot keep on sinning. Therefore, when we are abiding in Him, it would be inappropriate to continue to label ourselves as sinners. When His Word abides in us, when we are connected to the source, when we have recognized who we are and what is now living inside of us, 
It would be inappropriate to look at what he has done and to continue to say, no, this is who I am. Jesus, I know what you say. I know what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that anyone in Christ is a new creation and the old things have passed away. But I I know, but I'm just going to go back because I feel this way still. Because I still make mistakes. Because I'm not perfect. So I'm going to embrace this old nature and this old identity instead of recognizing that the seed of God has been planted inside of us and we are a new creation. The, the old name tag, hi, my name is Sinner, it doesn't stick anymore. It, do, it doesn't work anymore when we know who we are. It is such a significant and, it, and an important truth for us to realize. We're not just parsing words here. This new identity, this identity found in Jesus, in him, in him alone, through his grace, his power, and what he did on the cross, is the thing that will transform us into the ability to understand that I am a new creation, and I can choose differently than I've decided to choose before. It's not in my own strength and ability anymore. I was trying to think of, of an example for this because I, I really want to drive this home. And I was thinking of this commercial that I watched. I don't know if it's 10 years old now and maybe you've seen it before. I'm going to play it for you because I like the visual representation of this. All right. So let's, let's play that commercial now. They said I couldn't think called me a piece of trash and swore that's all I'd ever be. Said a bottle couldn't see the ocean. Give up. Go back to the dumpster. But I didn't listen. I made my way. And now, I am what I've always wanted to be. All right. So let me explain. Some of you don't need the explanation, but let me explain. First of all, the funny thing is I'm really bad at recycling. And this this commercial has like stayed in my mind apparently for like a bunch of years. When we look at something that has been recycled and transformed into something new, do we look at it and do we call it trash? Does it still have some of the old components in it? But is it old anymore? No, it's been made new. So if we look at our lives and we look and we say, I'm just trash, right? I'm just broken. I'm just, I just continue to do these things and therefore this is who I am. And we don't understand that we have been transformed and made into something new. We are not recognizing what Jesus has actually done in us because we still have some of the old components in us. We still, I'm not expecting anyone to walk out of this room today and to live a perfect life and say, okay, it's all good. Never sinning again. We still have the old flesh and desires inside of us, but is it our identity any longer? 
No, we are no longer the trash. We have been transformed into something new. But if we keep looking at ourselves as trash, what are the results of our life going to look like? If I keep looking at the old, broken nature and all that it entailed and all that it produced, and that's my focus, what's going to come out of my life is more of the same. And I'm not going to show up for the race because I don't think it's going to matter because I don't think there's going to be any difference because I don't understand that I have been made a new creation, that the old things have passed away, that all things have become new. But we have to believe it, church. We can't just talk about it. We can't just read the words. We have to allow it to actually transform who we are and the way that we think. But very often we still believe it. We still walk in the old identity because there is so much to remind us of the old identity. There are people around us that would be more than happy to remind us of the old identity. There are memories, and plenty of them, that want to reinforce the old identity. There is, what does Revelation call them? The accuser of the brethren, who would be more than happy to continue to remind us of the old identity. But who are we now? And whose word abides in us? And are we willing to protect it? Are we willing to guard it? Are we willing to allow it to remain inside of us? Because if we are, then we really do start to see things through a lens, not based off of the old, but out of an expectation and an excitement for what is new. But first, we really do have to disengage with the old, which means, as we said last week, disengaging with the shame. Disengaging with the part of us that that is holding on to all that was in the past. We had a great conversation during staff meeting this week about shame and about last week's message. And and is shame always a bad thing? And we said, you know, shame or, or the thing inside of us that points to Anything that we've done to disconnect us from Jesus, it's important. The Holy Spirit inside of us showing us, okay, you have missed the mark. You have come into agreement with something that is not the truth. It's important. But anytime that shame becomes condemnation, and I would say this is pretty much all the time. I'm I'm in the camp that shame is always a bad thing. You might disagree with me. But when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and they ate of the fruit, what did they do? They ate of the fruit. They recognized that they were naked. They were ashamed. And so they covered themselves and they hid and they separated themselves from the Father. Shame always causes us to disconnect. It causes us to move away. It's the opposite of abiding. Where are we abiding? Because love is always the thing that will reconnect us with the Savior. The recognition of His love for God so loved the world. 
The recognition that we are called to walk in love, that love is a vital part of who we are when we're talking about the love of God. When we abide in that, it is the very thing that releases the bondage of shame that tries to grab us, hold on to us, and to keep pulling us back. It's the thing that we're meant to let go of the shame and to pick up the new identity and the love that God has for us. So that we are able to actually walk in the new transformed lives that Jesus has made possible for us. I'm so excited to preach this message today. You have no idea. Like this, this is, this is the the change inside of us that makes us, it allows us to recognize what we are meant to bring to the rest of the world. But it has to start here. I say this a lot. It has to start here. This is what church is. It is looking at, recognizing, walking in the truth of God as a community, as a body of believers, and then taking what we are receiving and bringing it to the world around us. I could preach a long time this morning. I want to ask if the worship team would come up here this morning. I want to just look at this passage real quick. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we must get rid of every weight and the sin that, so cling, that clings so closely and run with endurance the race that has been set out for us. Keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set out for him, he endured the cross disregarding its shame and has taken his seat at the right hand of God of the throne of God think of him who endured such opposition against himself by sinners so that you may not grow weary in your souls and give up every day every day we are desiring and pursuing to be more like Jesus This is our pursuit. But what was the example that he gave us? Eyes fixed on heaven. Knowing his identity. And disregarding the shame. Disregarding the shame of what was in front of him because it was the joy that was set before him. What are we called to do as sons and daughters of the king? To keep our eyes fixed on Jesus to understand our identity that is found only in him not the past not the brokenness but on him and to disregard the shame so that we have the freedom to to step out of the places we where we have been in agreement with sin in our lives and to step forward to step out of agreement with any of the things that have so easily entangled us because we know that through him that through Jesus that by his stripes we have been made healed that we have the ability to walk in the newness of life that greater is he that lives inside of me than he that is in the world That's the truth that has to live and resonate inside of us with the desire to be more like Jesus, to speak to the world and to show them more about what it means to walk in the freedom of Jesus.